Welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show, one of the top five GDPR podcasts worldwide. Here is what's coming up in this week's episode. Welcome to episode 141 of the GDPR Weekly Show. And coming up this week, we have details of a survey into COVID-19 vaccinations and employers' views on them. We then have an update from the ICO here in the UK with details of the penalties that they've issued in 2020. And we then have a look at the extraterritorial scope of GDPR following a high court ruling here in the UK. And we then have details of a leaked internal email from Facebook which did details on how Facebook plans to deal with the publicity around future data breaches. We then travel to Ireland, where Sinn Féin has been questioned by the Irish DPC over its use of Facebook data. And then we travel to India, where Domino's Pizza in India have suffered a major data breach. And then we travel over to the USA, where Park Mobile has had a data breach. And then to California, where insurance company Geco has suffered a major data breach. And staying in the USA, we then travel across to Massachusetts, where energy company Eversource has had a data breach. We then leave the USA and travel to Canada, where in the court in Ontario, the court has approved settlement from the Bank of Montreal and CIBC following the data breaches. And then we travel back to the US for our final article this week, where we look at which states are making progress in the progression of their own privacy laws to follow on the footsteps of CCPA, the California Citizens' Privacy Act, and indeed how many of those states are basing their procedures on GDPR. So as always, a good mix of articles for you this week. We hope that you find the articles useful and informative. If you have any feedback for us, please always feel free to email feedback at gdprweeklyshow.com. We do read every single piece of feedback we receive, and where possible, we incorporate your suggestions for improvements into future episodes of the show. Unfortunately, due to the volume of feedback we receive, it's not always possible to respond to each piece of feedback individually. Stay home, stay safe. We begin this week with news of a survey which has been conducted into 300 employers across the country to see what their views were on what information they wanted to know on whether their employees had had the COVID-19 vaccination and whether they felt they should or could have that information. The vast majority of the 300 companies, in fact some 84%, said they would like to be told which of their employees had had the vaccination and which hadn't. But an overwhelming 96% believed that GDPR, which came into force in May 2018, will make it very difficult, that was the view of 37%, will need to be modified, which was the view of 20%, or at least clarified, that was 39%, in order to allow them to collect the vaccination information from their employees. Now, of course, GDPR wasn't put together with a pandemic in mind. Indeed, you know, I think it's had to adapt in some ways to what's happened in the last year or so. And while 70% of those surveyed have not yet decided whether they will collect this kind of data, they have discussed it. Of the 84% of firms who would like to know about their employees' vaccination status, 42% believe employers should be given that information only in firms where it's riskier for employees to catch the coronavirus, for example, in care homes and so on. But another 42% of firms felt they should be aware of their workers' vaccination status regardless of whether their workplace carries a greater risk. Only 16% believe that employers should not have access to such information about their employees. I guess there's little in this survey to take us by surprise, really. 
and we do await further guidance from the government on just how much information employers can expect to receive from their employees about their vaccination status. And once we have that information, we will, of course, bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Want to ask GDPR questions live? Come and join our GDPR surgery on Clubhouse, Thursday, 4pm UK time. Here in the UK, the ICO has issued some more details about fines that it's issued in the last 12 months and also other penalties which it's put into place. And the fines have included breaches of the Privacy and Electronic Communication Regulations, PECA, as well as the Data Protection Act, the DPA, and indeed, of course, incorporated within the DPA GDPR. Of course, everyone probably is aware of the two major fines, which were to British Airways for £20 million, reduced from their original fine of £183 million because of the impact of the COVID pandemic on the travel industry, and the £18.4 million penalty issued to Marriott Hotels, which again was reduced from their original penalty of £99 million because of the COVID-19 pandemic and the travel industry. But what are some others? Well, the next largest was the Ticketmaster Limited, with a fine totaling £1,250,000 for data breaches on the 13th of November 2020. Then DSG Retail Limited, commonly known as Curry's, CRDNN Limited and Cathay Pacific, all of which received fines totaling £500,000. Additionally, CRDNN was hit with a £500,000 fine on the 2nd of March this year, for breaches of the Privacy and Electronic Communications Regulations, PECA. In addition to these fines, the ICO also issued three court orders for the winding up of companies in 2020. Trusted Futures Limited, which had originally received a penalty for £70,000. Superior Style Home Improvements Limited, which had originally received a penalty of £150,000. And Alistair Green Legal Services Limited, which had originally received a fee of £90,000. Additionally, there were eight directors disqualified following ICO enforcement action in 2020. These directors have been disqualified for a number of years for conduct while acting for various companies. So a real sign there that the ICO is starting to show its teeth. And there are many within the GDPR community here in the UK who would say about time too. Because although the original focus of the ICO was unashamedly on education for probably the first 12 months that GDPR was in existence, and that's understandable. It was felt by many in the GDPR community that the ICO had taken too long to begin issuing serious penalties to companies who have breached GDPR. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. If you're a regular listener to the GDPR Weekly Show, then you may have heard us talk several times recently about the extraterritorial scope of GDPR and where that stood following the High Court ruling in London regarding Forensic News, a tiny Californian company which was subject to GDPR because the publications and postings by Forensic News were in English, a website solicited donations in British pounds, and the website accepted UK shipping addresses for merchandise. So we now have some official clarification on this. And what the EDPB is saying is that mere accessibility of your website in the EU or use of a language that is used in your country as well as parts of the EU. So obviously this is mainly aimed at the American market, but not exclusively because obviously Brazil largely speaks a language based on Portuguese. And obviously there are countries that speak either English or languages based on Spanish. So 
just having it in a language that an EU country can understand is not enough for the extraterritorial scope to apply. But on the other hand, use of an EU language or currency other than your own, listing prices or taking orders in euros or British pounds, accepting orders over the telephone from EU customers, and references to any EU official bodies or endorsers will be seen as offering services to EU or UK residents. So if you are wholly based outside of the UK and EU and aren't intentionally offering services to the UK or EU, then perhaps these guidelines will help you to judge whether you will be regarded by torts as falling under the extraterritorial scope of GDPR or not. Again, this is doubtless a subject which will continue to rumble on, and as there are any updates, we will bring them to you in future episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com or phone us on 0800-808-5312. Facebook found itself back in the news over its data breaches this week when an internal Facebook email accidentally sent to Belgium-based data news revealed a strategy for dealing with deleting of account details from 533 million users. It suggests the social network expected more such incidents and was planning to frame it as an industry problem that was a normal occurrence. It also said it felt that media attention would soon die down. As a result, it said that it planned to issue limited statements about the issue. When challenged by the BBC, Facebook confirmed that the memo was genuine, and said we understand people's concerns, which is why we continue to strengthen our systems to make scraping from Facebook without our permission more difficult and go after the people behind it. Later, a spokesperson added that both LinkedIn and Clubhouse had also faced data scraping issues. Interestingly, the email published by Data News is dated the 8th of April, several days after the story broke. It said press coverage on the issue from top-tier global publications had already declined by 30%. It said publications have offered more critical takes of Facebook's response framing it as evasive, a deflection of blame and absent of an apology for the users impacted. It noted adding that the pieces were often driven by quotes from data experts or regulators keen on criticising the company's response as insufficient. In a section headed long-term strategy, Facebook said it did not plan additional statements on the issue. It said, we expect more scraping incidents and think it's important to both frame this as a broad industry issue and normalise the fact that this activity happens regularly. As regular listeners will know, Facebook is under continued investigation by the Irish Data Protection Commission and as and when we receive any further updates, either from Facebook or the Irish DPC, we will of course bring them to you here in future episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. Staying with Facebook, but travelling to Ireland now, Sinn Féin's Ian O'Brien has insisted that his party's gathering of data from potential voters on Facebook is fully compliant with GDPR. Ian O'Brien is the party's housing spokesperson, issued a statement after Data Protection Commissioner Helen Dixon sent inquiries about how Sinn Féin uses information collected from Facebook and whether its electoral register system, ABU, was GDPR compliant. In a statement, Mr O'Brien said... What we do with the electoral register is what any professional party does. We use the register to target our voters and we to ensure we get our votes out on election day. That is legally permissible under the Data Protection Act. We've responded to the Data Protection Commissioner and if she has any concerns or if she has any suggested improvements to our system, of course, we'll be very glad to take those on board. We have to comply with the law and we believe we are fully compliant with the law and the Data Protection Commissioner has asked us a series of questions and we've answered those. He said any information the party has is fully compliant with the Data Protection Act of 2018, and so it should be. 
What we use the electoral register for is what every political party knows their job is, which is to engage with the electorate, target the vote and get them out, he said. If we receive any further update on this, either from Sinn Féin or the Irish DPC, we will of course bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Want to ask GDPR questions live? Come and join our GDPR surgery on Clubhouse, Thursday, 4pm UK time. To India now, and Domino's India data that included sensitive customer information such as their names, phone numbers and credit card details has allegedly been breached and put up for sale on the dark web. According to Alan Gao from cyber intelligence company Hudson Rock, the data includes as many as 180 million order details, including 1 million credit card details. The data was up for sale on the dark web, he said, for $550,000. A company spokesperson for Domino's India said, Jubilant Foodworks experienced an information security incident recently. No data pertaining to financial information of any person was accessed, and the incident has not resulted in any operational or business impact. As a policy, we do not store financial details or credit card data of our customers, thus no such information has been compromised. Our team of experts is investigating the matter and we have been taking necessary actions to contain the incident. Jubilant Foodworks is the parent firm of Domino's India. Domino's India joins a string of hacking incidents involving Indian firms in the recent past, including Big Basket, Buy You Coin, Just Pay, Upstocks and others. India does not yet have a specific legislation dealing with user data breach cases or penal actions relating to the same as yet. The Personal Data Protection Bill, which is proposed to deal with such cases of data breaches, has been pending in the Lok Sabha since 2019. If we receive any further update on this from Domino Pizza in India, we will of course bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. To America now and news that a very popular and commonplace smartphone app has suffered a data breach and its users have been recommended to change their passwords as soon as they can. This time it's part mobile, an app that's pretty popular across North America, operating in more than 450 cities that lets you find and pay for parking spaces using the app or online. It's alleged that the data breach involved email addresses, dates of birth, phone numbers, license plate numbers and hashed passwords. Basically enough information for hackers to have a field day. For its part, Park Mobile says that the service attributed the data breach to a vulnerability in third-party software that it uses. No customer credit card detail was apparently accessed as part of this data breach, nor any data related to customers' parking transaction history. Only basic user information was accessed, the company says. This includes license plate numbers as well as email addresses, phone numbers and virtual nicknames if provided by the user. In a small percentage of cases, mailing addresses were also affected. Encrypted passwords were also accessed, the company says, but not the encryption keys required to read them. It says if you want to change your password, go to the settings section on the Park Mobile app or on the web. Of course, it's never a good time for a data breach to happen, but this could hardly have come at a worse time for Park Mobile. In early March, the Easy Park Parking Group from Europe announced plans to acquire the company. If we receive any further update on this data breach from Park Mobile, we will of course bring it to you as soon as we can. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com or phone us on 0800-808-5312. To California now, and Geco has admitted to a data breach that gave forces the data they needed to file for unemployment benefits using a victim's name. In a notification to customers on April the 9th, the firm said Forsters used information about you, which they acquired elsewhere, to obtain unauthorised access to your driver's licence number, 
through the online sales system on Draco's website. The notice has been filed with the California Attorney's General's Office. It added that the date obtained by forces was limited to the customer's driver's license number. The breach appears to have happened between January the 12th and March the 1st this year. The insurance company said its website had been secured and worked to identify the root cause of the incident. It didn't divulge how many customers the breach might have affected, but California law states that any personal business that is required to issue a security breach notification to more than 500 California residents as a result of a single breach must file a copy of the notice with the State Attorney General's Office. In a statement, the firm said, While we regularly maintain high security and privacy standards, we have also implemented and continue to implement additional security enhancements to help prevent future fraud and illegal activities on our website. DECO, which claims to be America's second largest auto insurance provider, cautioned that fraudsters could use the driver's license numbers to fraudulently apply for unemployment benefits. If you receive any mailings from your state's unemployment agency or department, please review them carefully and contact that agency department if there's any chance fraud is being committed, the firm warned. DECO admitted it didn't know if any driver's license number has been fraudulently used and added that it would offer affected customers a one-year subscription to Identity Force to help protect against identity theft. In addition to using the identity theft service, Geco urged customers to be vigilant for instance of fraud or identity theft by reviewing account statements and credit reports of any unauthorised activity. <laughs> Remaining in America, a misconfiguration error has exposed personal data belonging to customers of New England's largest energy provider. On March the 16th, Eversource discovered that one of its cloud data storage folders had erroneously been set to open access rather than restricted access. Eversource serves more than 3.6 million electrically and natural gas users in Connecticut, Massachusetts and New Hampshire. An investigation into the data breach launched by Eversource's security team found that the unsecured folders contained personal data belonging to customers residing in eastern Massachusetts. Information exposed in the incident includes names, addresses, phone numbers, social security numbers, billing addresses and Eversource account numbers and service addresses. The folder was secured on the same day that the error was detected and the company's security team did not believe that the personal data it contains was accessed, stolen or misused by any unauthorised third parties. The company says that the exposed files were created in August 2019, making the data breach a prolonged incident lasting a year and seven months. It also confirmed that the information was stored in an unencrypted format. If we receive any update from Eversource, we will of course bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Want to ask GDPR questions live? Come and join our GDPR surgery on Clubhouse, Thursday, 4pm UK time. To Canada now, and an Ontario court has approved proposed class action settlements with Bank of Montreal and CIBC over security breaches involving thousands of clients. The Superior Court of Justice endorsed settlements and distribution plans designed to resolve lawsuits against the banks stemming from a data theft that affected more than 10,000 clients of CIBC's Simply Financial Unit and more than 113,000 Bank of Montreal clients in 2018. The parties reached agreement last autumn to settle the action against BMO for $21.2 million and against CIBC for $1.8 million. Now the court has approved the settlements and the plan for distributing the funds. In both settlements, larger amounts are proposed for persons who had their SIN and date of birth information compromised compared to class members who did not, the court noted. Both banks had already compensated clients for fraudulent transfers out of their accounts, which cost the Bank of Montreal $6.85 million and CIBC $1.8 million, the court said. They also provided affected customers with free credit monitoring identity theft insurance along with other compensation. The court said that while some of the affected customers expressed concerns that their personal information could be posted online in the future, 
The court considered that the rift is mitigated because the police have made arrests in Canada regarding these data breaches. The court also noted that the proposed settlements compare favourably with a similar case involving a breach at Home Depot that included a theft of email addresses and possibly credit card numbers. Ultimately, the court ruled that it was satisfied that the proposed settlement agreement is fair, reasonable and in the best interest of the class action. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. We've had several stories from the US in this week's episode, so we thought we'd finish with a look at how various US states are progressing with their own data privacy laws, many largely based on GDPR, and following in the heels of the CCPA, the Californian Consumer Privacy Act. If you're a regular listener, you've heard us talk recently about Virginia's own data privacy laws, but there are privacy laws also emerging in a number of other states. Perhaps the furthest advanced is Washington State, and many see Washington State's laws as being simpler and easier to implement than those proposed in Virginia. It's known that multiple states, including New York, Texas, Minnesota and Oklahoma, are basing their laws largely on those which resemble Washington's data privacy law, and indeed even the Texas data legislation is following along similar lines. It's believed that Washington, New York and Texas are likely to get their privacy laws passed in this calendar year, while it's known that Utah and North Dakota are among 23 other states that are already in the process of bringing their data privacy laws into fruition. North Dakota's HB 1330 is attracting a lot of attention as it would bring a stronger privacy framework than CCPA by requiring permission before selling consumers' data and it allows consumers to hold companies accountable for violating their data protection rights. It's likely that American data protection laws will continue to vary from state to state as there's little appetite at a federal level for bringing in nationwide legislation. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com or phone us on 0800-808-5312. The GDPR Weekly Show is an insurance production. Until next time, bye-bye.